So we are continuing the series we started just a few weeks ago titled Hebel, and Hebel is a Hebrew word that is used several times throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. So we are studying the book of Ecclesiastes, and we started off in looking at just the background of the book, the structure of it, the author, and where it lands in scriptures. And Ecclesiastes is a part of the wisdom literature. It's a section of the Old Testament that um, that includes Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job, as well as some of Psalms and Song of Solomon. Um, so these are, are in some ways, um, different books, because there are a lot of them are poetic books. They're ones that, that kind of um, bring us a different perspective. And, and Ecclesiastes is a very unique book when you look at Scripture, um, because most of Scripture is, is theological in nature, meaning that it is given us to teach us about who God is. Right? And that's the, the majority of Scripture is written from that perspective. Of, and the more we learn about who God is, the more we realize who we are and how we were created. And like I said, that's the purpose of most Scripture. However, Ecclesiastes is written from a very different perspective. And Ecclesiastes is not a theological book. Ecclesiastes is an ideological book. It's actually a book about human ideas and about um, how, how we interact with the world, right? That, and, and even... A, and, and even how we mess up what God designed. <laughs> and Ecclesiastes, like I said, comes from that different perspective. Of, 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 about, of, it's more about us than it is about God. However, as we saw in the first week, though, there are things that the, that the author Solomon, King Solomon, wrote in Ecclesiastes. There are things that he never questions in the book. And these are the same things that we need to never question in our lives either. The first thing he never questions is the existence of God. Right, that God is real, that he exists, that he is the uncreated creator. He never questions that. He also never questions God's authority, God's, uh, God's sovereignty. No matter how crazy or chaotic our world gets, it does not change the fact that God is in control. And that God is, is the ultimate authority. Right? And so again, he never questions God's existence, he never questions God's sovereignty, and he also never questions God's love. Right? That the same all-powerful God is also all-loving, and he loves us more than we can ever fathom or imagine. And again, it, truly Ecclesiastes is, is more relevant today than it was 3,000 years ago when he wrote it. That, that we look at our world and see all of the chaos and all of the, the craziness going on, and yet realize that these three things can never be questioned, especially today that God exists, that he is sovereign, and that he loves us more than we can imagine. And, and as we dive into the text of Ecclesiastes, and, and as we see that, he never questions these things, but yet he does question truly everything else under the sun. Everything else that this world has to offer, he jumps into, and he, he um, you know, examines and, and tests and, and asks the question of, is this meaningless or not? Right? In fact, that's, again, that, that Hebrew word, hebel, Right? It's, it's the Hebrew word. It's used 38 times in this book of Ecclesiastes. And this, this word is, is uh, translated in the NLT version as meaningless, and others as vanity or, or emptiness. Right? The, this word hebel is, is a word that, that he keeps coming back to and realizes that anything other than God is completely hebel. In fact, that, that's the, the, the conclusion of the entire book. If, as he jumps around from topic to topic and, and looks at all these different things, the conclusion of the entire book he gives us in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13, where he says, that's the whole story. And here now is my final conclusion. 
Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. And he says, that's what life is about, right? That's the only thing that matters. That's the only thing that's not Hevel, is God and living for him. And, and yet, what he does throughout the book, and he, does, he, he jumps around all kinds of different topics, and if you just read it from the beginning to the end, you'll notice that, he, again, it's like there's no flow to it. He just kind of he bounces from thing to thing through the entire book. But what he does as he jumps around through all of these different areas of life is he is examining, asking the question, right, and looking at everything that we chase after in life to find fulfillment, Right? Everything that we, that we pursue, everything that we desire, everything that we will find and, and chase after in life to fill that void that's in every human soul. And yet this is his conclusion. He says the only thing that will fill that void is God. Right? Everything else is completely hebel. And, and again, that's his conclusion, and yet we see as we're going through the book, and as we're studying it, right, that he, he dives into these different things. Last week, we looked at chasing success, and, and we looked at how he compares godly success versus worldly success, and the way the world defines success is very different than the way God defines success, and, and that's what we looked at last week in week two. Now, today, we're going to dive into the next topic that he covers throughout the book, and that is seeking pleasure and wealth, right, and seeking pleasure and wealth, and, and again, he, he dives into this and examines it, so as we, he opens up this topic um, in, Ecclesi- in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, so that's going to be our main text for today, so if you have your Bible with you, open up with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 2, if you're here with us in person and, and have your own Bible, you can, I, again, open up, follow along, if you don't have your own Bible, there are Bibles provided for you in the seats you're welcome to use, You'll notice the page numbers there and where you can find it in those Bibles. If you're with us online, we're excited to have you with us as well. You can grab your Bible, and if not, you can just listen as I read it. But we're going to start with Ecclesiastes 2, uh, verses 1 through 11, where it says, It says, I said to myself, come on and let's try pleasure. Let's look for good things in life. But I found that this too was Hebel. So I said, Laughter is silly. What, what good does it do to seek pleasure? After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. And while still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. And in this way, I tried to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate my many flourishing groves. I bought slaves, both men and women, and others were born into my household. I also owned large herds and flocks, more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. I I collected great sums of silver and gold and treasure of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and had many beautiful concubines, I had everything a man could desire. So I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so hebel, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. 
Now, as we look at this text and, and see, you know, again, everything that he did, and, and again, remember, this is King Solomon. This was not just the wisest person to live, but arguably the richest person to ever live on the face of this planet. Right? He was not just the king of Israel. He had, um, but he was the king of Israel during their incredible prosperity. I mean, he literally had unlimited resources in that time and space in history. And, and he said, right in the text, he said, and I denied myself nothing. If I wanted it, I took it. Right? If it seemed good, I went all in. Right? He's like, I, I just sought everything you could find. And, and again, we see that in the text. And yet, he, he tells us in the very first line his motivation for doing this. He says, I tried to find pleasure. Fulfillment, right? He's like, and I just dove in, both feet, held nothing back, right? And he says, I tried to find pleasure through his own efforts, right? He did everything that he could possibly think of, everything that he could throw money at, anything that, that brought pleasure, and in any amount, he said, I dove into it. I held nothing back, right? And then he literally goes in, he gives us a list Right, of everything that he tried. Right, everything he brought into his life to, to, to fulfill this, this hole in his soul. Right, to find fulfillment in life. He says, he's like, he dove into alcohol. Right, he, he built himself this huge house. He, he, he bought all kinds of beautiful land. He hired himself all of the help he needed so he didn't have to lift a finger. I mean, people just served him all the time. Right? He had huge flocks of animals. He had surrounded himself with jewelry and cash, right? all of the, the wealth of the world. He, he, he had hired professional entertainers. They came in, they did every, you know, anything just to keep him entertained. Right? Professional singers, dancers, all of it. He surrounded himself with beautiful women. And he even dove into hard work. Right now we see, right, this is everything he tells us in this passage that we just read. I mean, there's all these things that he dove into. He held nothing back. And yet, as we step back and look at this list, right, is there, we can all identify with something on this list, right? We have delved into something that's on this list in our lives. Right? And, and again, we look at that and, and we, we can identify, at least with a few of them, right? And even if you haven't, didn't, don't have unlimited resources, don't have unlimited power like he did, right? We can also sit back and know that we've longed for things on this list, right? We have sat down and said, man, if I only had a bigger house, I would be happy, right? If I only had more zeros on my net worth, it would all be great, Right, if I only had a better job, right? If I if I only had people serving me, if I only had this animal, right? Like we we all can identify with this list. Yeah, and in fact, if we sit back and look at this list, this list is literally the world's definition for of a life well lived. Right? This is exactly what the world tells us will bring us fulfillment. Right, if, if, if you can accomplish this list, right, then you've made it. You will be happy. You will have, have the, all the pleasure the world gives you. Right? And literally this list 
is what everyone lives for in this world. Right? Whether they know God or they don't. Probably especially if they don't. Right? They, this is the goal of life. Right? If you don't know God. And we look at this list and we can all, even if we do know God, we know that, right? This, this is literally the world's definition of a life well lived. And as we look at this list, we have to sit back and say and ask the question. It, 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 I, it implies the question. Then so what is my life really about? What am I living for? What is my goal with my time here on earth? Is it this list? Because that's what the world tells us it should be. Right? Am I living my entire life, my whole existence, is it, is it all just for the next good time? Right? Because the next good time is on that list. Right? And is that what I'm living for? Right? Am I, is that my goal in life? Right? The bigger house, beautiful land, hired servants, right? Like, just a weekend, like, all I can do is drink. Like, like, is that my goal in life? Is that what I'm living for? Or am I going to live for something bigger than that? Again, even as, as Solomon gives us this list and he looks at that and everything that he dove into, he said, I held nothing back, right? And he didn't. Right? And yet, he, he tells us the only thing that brought any, any real pleasure, right, was hard work. Is that shocking to anybody else? I mean, how many times have you been in the middle of an extremely long, hard work day and being like, man, this is so awesome, right? This is all that life has to offer. <laughs> but yet, that's, that's what he says, right? He's like, that's the only thing that brought even an ounce of pleasure. And, and again, he, he gives us this list, and yet the reality is most of our world including a lot of believers, unfortunately, right, are just living for this list. And yet he, he goes on and he dives deeper into this. He's like, he's like, I dove in. Oh, wait, I have nothing back. And then he explains to us later in chapter two, right, some of his, his conclusions about this experience. Okay, Ecclesiastes 2, we're going to pick up at verse 18. Okay, where he says, he says, I came to hate all my hard work here on earth. Hold, hold on a minute. He, what did he say? He concluded in the last one, right? The only thing that brought any kind of pleasure was hard work. And then he starts out as saying, but I came to hate all my hard work here on earth. For I must leave to others everything I have earned. And who can tell whether my successors will be wise or foolish? Yet they will control everything I have gained by my skill and my hard work under the sun. How hebel. So I gave up in despair, questioning the value of all my hard work in this world. Some people work wisely with knowledge and skill, and then they must leave the fruit of their efforts to someone who hasn't worked for it. This too is hebel. It's a great tragedy. So what do people get in this life for all their hard work and anxiety? Their days of labor are filled with pain and grief. Even at, the ni even at night, their minds cannot rest, for it is all Hebel. And we see here that he, he steps back from this list. He looks at it, he's like, even the one thing that brought me a little bit of fulfillment is still incredibly depressing. 
And it's so incredibly empty. And he gives us two reasons, right, why this entire list is, is empty, is hebel, is meaningless. Okay, the first thing that he identifies in these verses, okay, why none of this list will ever truly satisfy you is because none of those things are eternal. Because none of these things are eternal. He says, I look at everything, right, and yet it's fleeting. Now, some of it brings some pleasure, right? I mean, even amidst that, right? He's like, yes, it brings some pleasure, but yet, but it's still fleeting. It's not eternal. It's still temporary. And, and you know why that's a problem, why that's not fulfilling? is because we are created with an eternal soul, right? We were created for eternity. And that's the only thing that will fulfill our soul is if something that is eternal, Again, go back all the way back to Genesis 1, to the very beginning, right? Adam and Eve in the garden, right? They were created to be in unhindered relationship with God, right? Not only they had unlimited access to God, he was with them in the garden in his full presence. They also had unlimited access to the tree of life, right? They were never supposed to die, right? We were created for eternity, but we messed it up. Right, we messed it up. We sin entered the world, right? And the wages of sin is death. But guess what? Our souls are still eternal. We were still created for eternity. And so anything that is not eternal will not fulfill our soul. It will not bring us completeness and fulfillment, right? There will always be a gap, a hole inside of you that can only be filled with eternity. And anything that's not eternal will fall short. And you will always end up wanting. Right? Because none of these things are eternal. They're all temporary. Now again, we look at this list and we realize right, that this is truly, this list is, is pretty sinful. Right? And yet, as, as he acknowledges, right, so these actions, they bring some pleasure. But it's temporary pleasure. And we look at that list, and, and the reality is that, that that list is fun. In fact, sin is fun. It does bring momentary pleasure. If it wasn't, nobody would do it. Right? There would be no temptation. Right? Sin is pleasurable in the moment, but the problem, this is the problem with sin, is that it's also temporary. Right? Because what happens when we sin, when we dive in, we hold nothing back, we give into temptation, we go into sin, we go down that road, right? is we find momentary pleasure, but what comes right after that? Guilt, pain, anxiety. We feel emptier after we indulge than we did before. Because it's not eternal. Right? And it goes against the way God created us. Right, again, yes, sin is fun. If, if it's not, right, nobody would buy the lie. But it's not eternal. So it is completely hebel. And that's the first reason why he says these things will never fulfill us. The, the, the other reason that he says why these things are all hebel is because striving them just brings pain, grief, and anxiety. Striving for them just brings more pain in my life. More, more grief, more anxiety. Even when we find pleasure from these things, 
right? It brings worries with it, right? Because there is a price to be paid for every decision you make. And there is a price to be paid for our sin. There is an eternal price to be paid for our sin, and there is, is an earthly price to be paid. Okay, we know that eternal price for our sin, right, is death, is separation from God, right? And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus stepped in our place to pay that price, right? So that our eternity can be with God again because of what Jesus did. And and praise God for that, right? And so that our eternal souls can be satisfied, right? There's an eternal price to be paid for our sin, and Jesus has stepped in our place and paid that price for us. But that is the gospel. Praise God for his grace and his mercy and his love. Right? And so, again, that eternal price has been paid. That is our salvation, right? And a restored relationship with Jesus. But guess what? there is also an earthly price to be paid for our sin. Right? There are consequences to those decisions. There are earthly consequences to that. And we still live that, those out. Right? The more we indulge, the more pain it brings us, the more grief, anxiety it brings us. You realize that there is more mental health, anxiety, and things in our culture today than ever before? Do you know why? This is exactly why. Right? Because the more we indulge into it, the more that we find, the further our world moves from God's design and from his presence, the more pain and grief and anxiety we bring on ourselves because of our sinful choices. The more we push God away, the more we get what's left. Right? Because God's presence right, brings love and casts out all fear right? and, and, and acceptance right? and eternity. Right? And the more we push God away, the more we get what's left. And what's left is condemnation and pain and grief and anxiety. It's why you feel worse after you indulge than you did before. Right? And this is exactly why he says that this list is completely hebel. Right? Because they're not eternal. And they just bring more pain and grief and anxiety. Right? We, we see, again, the, the truth, right, of what the world is selling us. Right? And he says, I dove in and found that it was completely meaningless. Right? And yet, he still kind of bounces around throughout the, the text and through the, through, through the whole book, right, about that there, there is some pleasure to be found in this world. Right? I mean, that's exactly his conclusion, right? He says, the only thing you can find meaning is God. So we have to ask the question, then, if, if, if everything without God is completely hebel, right, it's only going to take us down this road towards pain, grief, and anxiety, and, and towards eternal condemnation, then, I mean, can pleasure and wealth ever be godly? Can I pursue God in a way, right, to where I can experience true pleasure, right, and true wealth? Can it ever truly be godly? And I tell you, this is a very valid question, okay, especially in our current culture. Because the more that our world moves, the more that, that, that it moves further away from God, right, the more that we see the chaos happening in our world. Right, the more that, that this becomes relevant. In fact, even when we look within the faith communities, right, even of those that, that never question God's existence, we still see this question being tossed around a lot. 
Right? And there's, there's varying answers to this. Have you ever heard the phrase, prosperity gospel? I can tell you have. Right? Because everybody kind of rolled their eyes. Right? Yeah, we've heard it, right? I mean, now again, are they giving the right answer to this question? You know, that we look at even our world, if you look about our world of celebrity pastors, right? There's, there's all these things out, and it's looking at that, and we look at celebrity pastors who have pleasure and wealth, right, in the midst of that, and, and we all have seen them fall, right? And so we have to, can pleasure and wealth truly be, ever be godly, right? Or does it always end up in destruction? Hey, now, it, not only with that, but to just go out, even outside just the faith community, Right? But just our world in general, we look at what typically comes with pleasure and wealth and power right? is a moral failure. Right? We see corruption everywhere. Right? And even outside that, I say, can, can pleasure and wealth ever, ever be genuine? Right? Can, can it be good? Right? Because when we know the phrase, right? we've all heard the phrase, if, if you want to find where, what's really happening, just follow the money. Right? And it will reveal true intentions. And I think with that said, right, can pleasure and wealth ever be godly? Right, what do we do then as, as people who strive to be godly, as followers of Jesus? Right, that I long to be, to be holy like he is holy. Then, then what do I do? Then do I have to deny every pleasure, deny every wealth in my life? I mean, can it ever be godly? Right, and again, Solomon answers this question. Okay, later on, Ecclesiastes 2, verses 24 and 26. He, he says, again, picking up at verse 24, he says, So I decided there is nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction in work. And then I realized that these pleasures are from the hand of God. For who can eat or enjoy anything apart from him? God gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy to those who please him. And if a sinner becomes wealthy, God takes that wealth away and gives it to those who please him. This, too, is hebel, like chasing the wind. Again, he, he dives into this question. Right? In fact, the key to this question is verse 25. Verse 25 that we just read is so incredibly important. Right? It's this concept. He literally asks the proverbial question, who can eat or enjoy anything in this life apart from God? Right? And by the way, the answer is no one. Right? You cannot find pleasure without God. I mean, again, that's his final conclusion, isn't it? He's saying it's, it's impossible. You cannot do it. Again, it, according to this verse, true pleasure and true wealth cannot be experienced without God. You will never find fulfillment. Right? In, in the world's list, you'll never find fulfillment in, in how many zeros are behind your net worth. Right? You will never find fulfillment unless God is involved. He is the only thing that can truly fill that void in your life. Now, it's very interesting right, to see in this, and again, this context presents this, right, of, of what he gives us in, in verses 24 and 26. I mean, what what centers around this key in verse 25. 
First off, I mean, he literally says in verse 24, right, that, that pleasure is from the hand of God, that he is the source of true pleasure. And, and as he says this, right, he, he, he also comes throughout the book, right, of saying that there's, this true pleasure also comes with a warning. In fact, he warns throughout the book in several different ways. I, I love this warning that he gives in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 9. Okay, where he says, young people, it is wonderful to be young. Enjoy every minute of it. Do everything you want to do. Take it all in. Amen, right? Yes. But I'm also glad that's not the end of the thought. Right? He says, young people, it's wonderful to be young. And I know you might be thinking, yeah, this would be a great verse if I was young, right? Now, but to say that, this applies to all of us because we're all truly young. Because in compared to eternity, you're young. Because right? remember, we have eternal souls, right? Compared to eternity, you're young. So young people, it's wonderful to be young. Enjoy every minute of it. Do everything you want to do. Take it all in. But remember that you must give an account to God for everything you do. You have to give an account to God. You will stand face to face, right, with everything you do. Again, this is not a green light, right? This is not like, hey, just, just indulge it. Nothing matters, right? In fact, it's a warning to say everything matters. Everything you do matters because you are going to stand in front of God, right? And, and again, there have find pleasure, enjoy life, right? But know that there is a price to be paid for everything you do. Right? That eternal price as well as that earthly price. Right? And that price will be paid. It's either paid by Jesus or it's paid by you. <laughs> right? Absolutely. Hey, that pleasure is from the hand of God. You cannot experience pleasure without God. So it absolutely can be godly. It is godly. Right? But there it also comes with a warning. Don't mess it up. Right? Don't mess it up, because you guys are good at messing it up, right? I mean, God tells us that over and over and over again. Right, the other thing is he addresses pleasure in verse 24, and then he addresses wealth in verse 26. Okay, and in verse 26, he, again, tells us that wealth is a reward for pleasing God. In fact, this concept is presented here okay, and many other places in Scripture where it talks about wealth and money, right, and, and physical possessions, Okay, in fact, Scripture talks about money all the time. There are so many Scriptures about money and about wealth. In the Old Testament, in the New Testament, in fact, Jesus talked about it all the time. I mean, he, he taught all kinds of lessons and parables about money. In fact, it's interesting in verse 26, notice who ends up with all the money. God's people. In fact, and again, we can look to the end, right? In fact, how does it end in Revelation? God's people end up with literally everything. Right? I mean, God will take it from the sinners and give it to the godly. That's exactly what he says, right? In fact, that's exactly what Jesus teaches us over and over again, even through his parables. Right? Is that, that wealth will be a reward from God. Because the reality is it's all God's anyways. Right? He owns it all. He's the creator. And, and he will give it to the godly to, to use. 
But again, this wealth also comes with a warning. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 10. He says, those who love money will never have enough. And how meaningless you think that wealth brings true happiness. Again, he's saying this verse, right, in Ecclesiastes and every other time that money is talked about in Scripture is, is we see the same thing every time. Is money, when it brings up, it's not about money at all. When it, Scripture talks about money, it's not about money at all. It is about your heart. Right? It is about your intention. Right? It is about your goal in life. Right? He's saying if your goal in life is money, then you will never have enough. Right? And this is coming from arguably the richest person in history of the earth. It is saying you, will, you can never have enough. And in fact, John D. Rockefeller, who is one of the richest people in American history, Right, was asked, how much money is enough money? And you know what his response was? Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Right? Which, again, that's the point, right, is that you, there's never enough if your goal is money. Right? If your goal is money, there'll never be enough. I mean, he said the same thing that Solomon said. And yet, we can also can never lose sight of the fact, right, that money is a tool that needs to be used for God's glory, right? Because God would not give us more wealth, right, as godly people unless he wants it to be used for his glory. Because as a servant of God, as a follower of Jesus, that is the, now the goal of my life, right, is to build his kingdom, not mine. Which means if God is giving you money, then you need to use it for his glory, Right, and to build his kingdom, not your own. And money is absolutely a tool that needs to be used for God's glory. Because Jesus also taught that concept, by the way. Right, if you don't use what he gives you for the right things, he will take it away. Right, so again, if, if it is not ungodly to be wealthy, right, but it is ungodly to use that wealth for the wrong things. We can never lose sight of the fact that money is a tool to be used for God's glory. And Jesus taught several times throughout the Gospels that those who handle money well for God will be given more. And as we see this, you know, as he looks at this question, then he has this kind of concluding thought over this whole idea of, of pleasure and wealth. And this comes out of Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. Ecclesiastes 5, picking up at verse 18. Where he says, even so, I have noticed one thing at least that is good. It is good for people to eat, drink, and enjoy their work under the sun during their short life that God has given them. And to accept their lot in life. And it is a good thing to receive wealth from God and the good health to enjoy it. To enjoy your work and accept your lot in life. This indeed is a gift from God. And God keeps such people so busy enjoying life that they take no time to brood over the past. Again, he steps back and says, like, you have to answer this question. What are you living for? Right? Are you living for yourself? Are you living for the world's list? Or are you living for God? Because that's the only thing that will bring you true pleasure. That's the only thing that will bring you true life. What are you living for? Because if you're living for just the next good time, You'll never be fulfilled. But as a follower of Jesus, 
Our purpose in life is way bigger than us because life is not about me anymore. It's about God. And it's about taking advantage of every moment I have on this earth to further God's kingdom, to further the gospel, to, to please the God that I love and that loves me more than I can imagine. Again, he shows us here, again, throughout the entire book, and we already saw the conclusion, right, all the way in chapter 12. The the key that unlocks joy in this world is a focus on God. Apart from God, you will never find fulfillment. The world tells you it will, but guess what? The world is lying to you. God tells us the truth. And again, in, in these verses, he tells us exactly what we have to do to find true joy, right? To keep ourselves focused on God. First off, as he says, to fulfill your God-given role. God has given you a purpose for the, your time on earth, so fulfill it, right? Do it. Hold nothing back. He also, not only do we fulfill our God-given role, then the next thing he tells us to do in these verses is to use what God provides, Right, whatever God brings into your life, use it for his glory. Whatever talents, abilities he gives you, use it for his glory. Right, whatever money he gives you, use it for his glory. Right, no, whatever relationships he puts in your life, use them for his glory. Right, use it. Everything you have is God's anyway, so use it. Use it. And ultimately, again, he tells us, the third thing he tells us to do in these verses is just to do what God leads you to do. Right? As he tells you, he's like, you will be busy. God will keep you busy. Right? God will keep you busy. But do it. Like, fulfill it. Right? Do it all the way. Again, the goal of your life is no longer to build your own kingdom. It is to build God's kingdom. And that is the only way you will ever find true pleasure and even true wealth. Is building God's kingdom. Now, when we see that, right, that outwardly, they, they look very similar. Right? Using your resources, fulfilling your time, you're using your time on earth, being busy doing God's stuff. Like, outwardly to everybody else, your life looks very much the same, right, as a lot of very worldly successful people. But your, the condition of your heart and the condition of your mind will be very different, right? Your why is very different. And that's what people will notice, that's what will draw people to God, right, is your why. Again, is it to glorify me? Nope. It's to glorify him. Right? And that's what will bring true pleasure and wealth in this earthly life and for eternity. And again, I don't know where you're at in your life or in your faith, how much pleasure is in your life or how wealthy you are, and the reality is it doesn't really matter unless God's involved. Again, I don't know where you're at in your faith journey today, but if you're trying to, to seek anything of this world to find fulfillment, it's going to leave you more empty. Surrender yourself to God. Open your life to him. Fulfill your ultimate destiny and, and your eternity with God. You were created for a relationship with him. Will you accept that and embrace it? Remember, Jesus paid the price for your eternity. Will you accept the gift? If you've never 
prayed and accepted Christ your Savior, invited him into your life, surrendered your own will, right, and accepted his grace and his mercy and, again, the gift of grace, then you can do that today. If you have accepted Christ your Savior, if you've already joined the journey of faith, then are you moving forward in your journey? Right, are you taking the next step that God's telling you to take? Right, are you getting more involved? Are, are you going to be baptized? Are you going to, um, you know, give, right? Whatever it is God's telling you to do, just do it. Right, and do it for his glory, not yours. And again, maybe the next step of your journey today is just praising God for the pleasure and wealth that you enjoy every day. And then it's for him and not for you. Right, I get out of the way you're at in your faith journey today, but I hope that you will move forward. Be cl- move closer to God. Be more like him tomorrow than you are today. And that's how you will find true wealth and true pleasure. Which brings me to my final thought for today, and that's this. That true wealth and true joy can only come in your life is completely focused on God. Is Jesus Christ the destination of your journey? Is that what you are living for? If it's not, then do whatever you have to do to make that true. Lord God, we are so thankful. God, that we can get to the place where we can truly say it is well. God, we can release it to you. Or whatever pain or anxiety or struggle that we have, God, we can give it to you and we can find fulfillment. And God, we praise you today, God, that that you take those burdens. God, that you set us free from the world's definition of success. And God, we can find true fulfillment in you. And God, I pray, Lord, that we can all find that place where we can truly, honestly say, it's well with my soul because you're with me. And I trust you. And God, I pray that as we go this week, God, that we would truly live out our faith. We would um, acknowledge, God, that you are God, that nothing matters without you. And God, we would be obedient to your will. We would take the steps you're leading us to take. And God, through you being the destination of our journey, of us being more like you tomorrow than we are today, Lord, that the world will see a difference and they will also want to come to you. Lord, help us to live our faith every day and to show this world who you are by our love for you and our love for each other. God, that we shine your light in this world as we live out our faith. Be with us as we go. God, whenever, whatever we face, God, help us to get to that place saying it's well with my soul because I'm with you. Guide us as we go today in Jesus' name.